can be seated. As you do, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to acknowledge your greatness, your glory, your power, your beauty, your person, your work. You are mighty, you are glorious, you are worthy to be praised and worshipped. Really just as Landon reminded us, Lord, we want to be all here, we all here in this moment, praise, of worship to you, with our church family gathered, we thank you for this moment, we thank you for all the things that this moment represents for us, I just want to acknowledge some things in a spirit of gratefulness, God, thank you that this is, this is the last Sunday of 2022. Lord, thank you for sustaining us through this year. I remember at the very beginning of this year, we prayed specifically that you would meet us through all 52 Sundays of this year, and you've done that. You've not left us by ourselves. You've always given us a truth to delight in. You've opened your word to us in so many ways. Thank you. Thank you for the ways we've been able to express our praise and worship this year. Thank you for the scripture reading. Thank you for the classes and the fellowship and the joy that has exuded in this room among these people. We acknowledge your greatness this year. Also acknowledge this Christmas morning. What a joy to be able to gather today, to have the health and the ability to just be here to celebrate you. We don't, we don't bring any gifts to you this morning, Lord. We don't have gold, frankincense, or myrrh. We're not laying anything before you. We have nothing to bring you today. We just bring ourselves and saying, God, we want to worship you. We want to celebrate you. We are here in your presence because we love you, because you first loved us. And you've drawn us to yourself and you've given us your spirit and you've amazed us with your gospel. That's why we're here. We just acknowledge this Christmas morning. We acknowledge that this will be the, the last time Christmas is on a Sunday for 11 years. Just thinking about all the life that's going to happen between now and then and all the ways our kids are going to grow up and all the ways you're going to scatter us in a thousand different places over these next 11 years. And we just acknowledge that we, we don't want to do anything without you. We don't want to make one move without you, oh God. Everything we do, we need you in. We are desperate people in need of your enabling grace. And we just thank you that you've promised to be that for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for this Sunday, the Sunday that, that represents the Lord's day, your day. This is the day you have made. And we want to rejoice and be glad in it. We acknowledge, we remember the resurrection of our Savior that happened on the first day of the week in power and great glory. And because of that resurrection, we gather today to, to remind ourselves that you're coming again. And you will come in power and great glory and you will do and accomplish your purpose in us. And we say, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Emmanuel. We long for you to split the sky and for you to make all things right. We long to hear that trumpet sound and to see you face to face. Thank you, Lord for this moment. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this church. You are good and you do good. We ask you now one last time to speak to us this year. Speak to us from your word. 
declare to us who you are and what you've done that we might remind ourselves and that we might be changed by the truth of your gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you for humbling yourself. We thank you that though you are rich, you became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in you. We love you. We thank you for all that you've promised to be for us. Speak to us now, we pray in your great name. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, church family. So good to see you. What a gift. What a gift to be able to gather this morning and worship our Savior with our church family on this Christmas morning. And I hope that you, God, are going to get everything on your wish list this Christmas. And I hope that none of it breaks. I hope none of it needs updating or upgrading and you never get tired of playing with it, that it just lasts forever. We know that won't happen, right? A few years ago, my family and my wife and I uh, learned a gift-giving strategy that sort of, sort of helped us uh, focus in on what we get our family, our kids. We try to get them gifts in three categories. We get them something they need, something to read, and something they want. Sometimes it ends up being several things in those categories, but that generally just helps us prioritize how to get gifts for them. Usually the need category consists of things that aren't so exciting to get as a gift, but they are very useful. For example, new shoes or a jacket or an electric razor fit in the need category. Maybe you got socks or underwear or a new crock pot for Christmas as something you needed. Well, I've got one more need gift for us all this Christmas morning. But this isn't a physical need gift. This is a spiritual need gift. You see, whether we acknowledge it or not, all of us have a deep need to be loved. In fact, that's the real reason we give Christmas gifts at all. It's not the gifts themselves but it's the love that they express toward each other. Giving gifts is a way to say, I love you. It's a way to say, I see you. It's a way to say, I care about you. Well, our glorious God has met this deepest need of our hearts by giving us true love in the greatest gift imaginable. I know it sounds cliche on Christmas morning, but our God, has met the deepest need of our hearts by giving us the greatest gift imaginable. And that's what I want us to delight in and enjoy for a few minutes together on this Christmas morning because it is true. And I hope we find that this need gift is actually also the greatest want gift of our hearts. You see, this need gift satisfies a craving that we often don't even realize we have. And so turn in your Bible to the most famous verse of all, John 3.16. John 3.16. This might be the most famous verse, and it might be the most famous sentence in all of the history of language. No verse has been more memorized or quoted or put on signs at sporting events. And so let's remind ourselves of what it says on this Christmas morning. John 3.16, I believe this is the Lord Jesus 
speaking continually to Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to him at night, and Jesus continues talking to him about eternal life and about what it means to be born again by saying, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This one verse contains a treasure chest of precious truth. There is enough truth in this one verse to summarize the entire message of the Bible and to sustain our joy for eternity. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther called John 3.16 the gospel in miniature. The gospel in miniature. John 3.16 is the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ encapsulated into a single magnificent sentence. And there is no more important day to consider this verse than on Christmas morning. And this is particularly powerful in light of what we've been studying the past few weeks about the glorious incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person. Remember the word we learned last week? This is the hypostatic union. Fully God and fully man in one person. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John 3.16 answers the question, and it's Jesus Himself answering the question, why? Why did the Word become flesh and dwell among us? Why did Jesus take upon Himself, add to Himself a human nature? Why did He become a man? What was the purpose of it all? Well, one way to answer that question would be to say, to reveal the love of God. He came as a man to reveal the love of God. And so notice in this one verse, and be amazed by the love of God in four aspects of what Jesus tells us here. Here's what we're going to address. The glorious giver, the priceless gift, the undeserving recipient, and the everlasting promise. So four aspects of this verse that reveal the love of God. The glorious giver, the priceless gift, the undeserving recipient, and the everlasting promise. So look at first the glorious giver. The first and most important truth that I want you to be convinced of in John 3.16 is this. God is the giver of this gift. This verse is primarily about God. Notice it. It's not about us primarily. God is the subject of John 3.16. He is the giver of this priceless gift and this precious promise. Notice the phrase, He gave His only Son. God so loved the world that He gave he gifted something. He gave His only Son. The majestic God of all creation. The God who created all that is. The God who is omnipresent and omnipotent. This God is a generous giver. Christmas is the celebration of our God as a generous giver. Our God is not stingy. Our God is not miserly. There is absolutely no bah humbug in our God. He is lavishly generous. 
And as we'll see in just a moment, our God does not give cheap gifts. When God gives, it is extremely costly. This truth, I think, is so important for us to hear on Christmas morning. Because all around the world today, people are celebrating a different kind of giver. In millions of households, there is a jolly old man in a red suit who is glorified as the giver today. But old Saint Nick only gives gifts to those who are nice, right? He's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. You see, in that story, naughty kids don't get gifts. If you find yourself on the naughty list, the best you can hope for is some coal or some switches in your stocking. But that's totally upside down from the giver described in John 3.16 and throughout the rest of the Bible. The Christmas story is about how naughty kids get priceless gift from a generous God, from a generous giver. Friends, I know it feels like a discouragement to say on Christmas, but if there were ever such a thing as a naughty list, all of our names would be on it. If God giving lavish and generous gifts to us were dependent on us being nice, God wouldn't be a gracious giver, but a boss handing out paychecks. Christmas is about God being a generous giver, being a lavishly happy giver. But notice God is not just the giver. He gave His only Son. God is not just the giver, but God is the gift itself. Notice the second aspect of this verse, number two, the priceless gift. We have the glorious giver, but also, secondly, the priceless gift. So, what is this gift that God says we need and we should also want? The glorious giver gave His only Son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Now, don't overlook the little word so in verse 16, the third word in the English Standard Version. For God so loved. This little word is meant to draw attention to and emphasize the magnitude of the love of God. So emphasizes the intensity of God's love. It is this much it is saying, but it also draws attention to how. He loved the world. How did He love the world? God loved the world by giving the most priceless gift, the most priceless treasure imaginable. His uniquely and infinitely lovely Son. This is the way in which God loved the world. This is why Jesus took on flesh. God gave his precious Son. God didn't just speak His love for us. He didn't just say He loved us. He demonstrated His love by giving His Son. Now listen, it would be foolish to try and measure how much God loves. It would be foolish to try and measure it. In fact, Paul told the Ephesians that God's love is so high, so deep, so wide, so vast, that it surpasses knowledge. So it's impossible to measure the love of God. However, John 3.16 points to how we would measure it if we were going to measure it. How would we measure the love of God? How would we decide how much He loves us? 
But God loves His people. And the measure of it is by calculating the infinite value of His precious Son. One commentator said of this verse, if the depth of love is measured by the value of its gift, then God's love could not be greater. For His love gift is His most precious possession, His holy, eternally begotten Son. The Father's love for the Son is so intense, so deep, so unending, and yet John 3.16 says that God loved the world in this way. He loved the world in this way. He gave His only Son. Think of what's implied in the phrase, He gave. What did He give His Son to? What did the Eternal Father give His only Son to? He gave His Son to be born in a lowly manger. He gave His Son to a world of darkness and brokenness and sin. The Father gave His Son to be ridiculed and mocked and beaten and killed. The Father gave His Son to be crucified for sinners. Why? Why would the Father give His precious Son to be mocked and killed? Why did the One who loved the Son so much Give Him over to such pain and shame and death. The Scripture would declare that it was ultimately for His own glory that God sent His Son as a wrath-quenching sacrifice. It was ultimately to display the righteousness of our God. But John 3.16 here says that it was because of His love that God gave His Son by sending His Son into the world and giving Him over to be crucified, God was saying, God was demonstrating to you and to me, I love you. This is what Christmas is about. This is what Christmas is about. Kids, I want you to hear this. This is what Christmas is about. It's not primarily about the presents. Those are great. It's not primarily about the good things to eat and the time with family. Christmas is about how much God loves. That little manger scene is more than just a decoration. It's a demonstration of the incredible love of Almighty God for sinners like us. The love of God is evident in the priceless treasure He gave. The glorious giver gave the infinitely valuable Son. But who did He give this gift to? That's the third thing I want you to see in this verse. The undeserving recipient. The undeserving recipient. Notice the recipient of the love of God. This gift of love. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. The contrast here could not be any greater the contrast between what God gave His precious Son and who He gives this gift to, the world, could not be any greater. God's love is not merely seen in the infinite value of what He gave His only Son, but it's also seen in the rebelliousness of whom He gives His Son for. This is very important for us to see. When John uses the word world in his writings... He usually has the sinfulness of the world in mind. 
That would be a great study to do. Read through the Gospel of John, the book of 1 John, and look for the word world, and notice how John uses it. John, when he uses the word world, usually is talking about the rebellion of the world. He's not talking about just neutral people that exist in the world. He's talking about the world in rebellion against God. Let me give you a few examples. John 7, 7, Jesus says, The world hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world hates Jesus and is evil. The same apostle in 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or the things of the world, because everything in the world is not from the Father. And so when we read the word world in John 3.16, We're not to admire the love of God because the world is so big and includes so many people. Although that is certainly true, but rather the love of God for the world is to be admired because the world is so bad and so sinful. You see, it's not the bigness of the world that makes the love of God in John 3.16 so amazing. It's the badness of the world that makes God's love so amazing. The world is opposed to God. The world is arrayed in battle against God. The world has rejected God in His ways. And yet, God so loved the world by giving this priceless gift to the world. This is strange love. If you don't feel this to be completely strange, you're not understanding it. This kind of love is very different than anything we see during this time of the year. We're used to hearing of great love for worthy and excellent people. A man will usually be glad to die for his family and friends. But God sends His Son to die for people who hate Him and who mock Him and who do not appreciate Him. He sends His Son to pay the penalty for those of us who are on the naughty list. Friends, there is nothing in us that has caused God to love us. It is not because we are so lovely that God has given this infinitely valuable gift to us. God didn't see our moral excellence and decide to sort of help us out a little bit. No, quite the opposite. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. We hated God and we hated His ways. But out of sheer sovereign love, God chose to give us the most precious gift imaginable. The gift we desperately need and the gift we should earnestly want. So Christian, when was the last time you pondered the depth of the pit from which you have been rescued by this gift? Could it be the reason we are not affected by the love of God like we should is because we have too high a view of ourselves? Like Even now, the fact that we're not moved to tears is because somewhere in the corner of our heart, we think that we deserve to be loved by God. There is a constant temptation to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and it is only when we see the depth of our depravity that we will begin to experience the love of God as deeply and as passionately as we should. He loved the greatest rebels by giving them the greatest and most precious gift, His only Son. There's a fourth and final aspect I want you to see in this passage, and that's the the everlasting promise. 
Notice the everlasting promise in John 3.16. This is where people usually go with John 3.16. This is where they usually camp. But let it fall on you afresh this morning. Because God gave His Son, and because the Son bore the penalty for our rebellion, notice the promise that we have in Him. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Remember, this is Jesus saying this. And Jesus says, whoever believes in Me, whoever believes in the Son of God, the most precious gift imaginable, will not perish, but will have eternal life. Notice the simple word, whoever. You see that? Whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Jesus, should not perish, but will have eternal life. Friends, sweeter news does not exist on this Christmas morning. You will not unwrap a sweeter gift under the tree or in your stocking. Anyone and everyone who embraces the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord will be rescued from perishing and will be given eternal life. This is an incredible promise that reveals just how much God loves His people. God did not, God did not, He didn't have to give this gift. There was no obligation in Him to give this gift to us. There was nothing in us that compelled Him to give this gift. None of us deserve this gift, this promise, that in His love He sent His Son so that we might have the hope of eternal life. But before we leave today, notice the incredible warning contained in this glorious verse. John 3.16 is amazing. But there is a warning here. And it says, whoever does not believe in Jesus will perish. To perish means to suffer the punishment of one's sins. To perish means to bear the wrath and curse of God for all eternity. In fact, John makes this even clearer a few verses later in John 3.36 where he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so John 3.16 holds out two options for every person in this room. If we embrace God's good gift of Jesus to us, we will eternally experience the love of God. That's what everlasting life means. In John 17, Jesus would say, this is eternal life, that they know you, knowing God for all eternity, if you believe on Jesus. But if we reject Jesus, if we continue in our sinful and stubborn ways, we will perish and we will suffer the full punishment that our sins deserve. And so I urge you, friends, based on this precious promise to realize your desperate need for this Savior, I, I urge you to admit your badness, admit your sinfulness, admit your inability to save or redeem yourself. Do not postpone action to some better day when you think you're ready. Give yourself here and now completely to Jesus who alone can give you eternal life. On January 6, 1850, a famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon was 16 years old. Spurgeon was caught in a snowstorm 
And he took shelter in a small Methodist church where there were about 15 people were gathered. The regular preacher that day was snowed in, and so a layman picked up the Bible and turned to Isaiah 45, 22. This is what God says in Isaiah 45. He says, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. God says, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And Spurgeon said that this layman looked at him at one point in the midst of his sermon and said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look to Jesus Christ. And Charles Spurgeon said, I saw at once the way of salvation. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word look, What a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun. Church family, I say the same thing to you on this Christmas morning. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Receive this gift from our gracious God. That's the thing about a gift. You have to receive it. Receive it. Believe on Jesus. Look to Him. And if you do, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this greatest of all gifts. Lord, I pray that You would make us grateful for what You have provided in the Gospel of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank You that You humbled Yourself, that You became poor so that we could be rich with this truth. And Holy Spirit of God, thank You for opening our eyes to see these wonders. Oh God, I pray for every person in this room that is not looking to Jesus, I pray You would open their eyes right now. Help them to see the glory of the Son, of the God-man, of this precious gift. And I pray they would turn away from their life of rebellion and would turn to You and submit fully and wholeheartedly to You as their God, as their King, as their Lord. Oh God, I pray, do that work in us. And as You do that work in us, would You help us to turn our eyes upward to see You, to behold You, and also to turn our eyes out to this lost and dying world and proclaim this message of joy. Oh God, help us to say, joy to the world, the Lord has come. We love You, we bless You, we thank You. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.